And that's what Hebrews 11 is all about, actually. And that's where we are in the book of Hebrews. But first, let's open up in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have done so much for us. We thank you that your promises are great and that we can never hope to repay what you have given to us. We pray that you'll give us the grace to, again, trust in you and trust that your answers are right and that you will only do what is best for us. And we pray that in this grace that you will help us to walk in a way that others see a confidence that they can't explain and come and ask, why is it you have such a calmness of spirit that we might then have the answer, that they might turn to you and walk in the same walk of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the past months, we've been looking at the book of Hebrews. I know this has been sort of a long haul for the book, because it is a pretty large book. Um, difficult at times, easy at other times. But in the first ten chapters, we saw that Jesus was the very, or is, I should say, the very expression of the Father. That as creator of the universe, he came to live a righteous life, to provide a way for us to enter into his rest. That on the cross, he took our sinful lives. He took them on himself. And in his great mercy, he gave us his righteous life. After doing this, he rose from the dead. And now he stands at the Father's right hand as our great high priest. As the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 7.17, for it is attested of him, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. After telling us about all the great things Jesus has done for us, he encourages us to draw near to God in Hebrews 10, 19-22. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now that he has finished telling us all these great things about Jesus and giving us this encouragement, the preacher seems to abruptly change subject. The result is the great faith chapter 
of the Bible. If you ask anyone who knows even just a little bit about the Bible, where can I learn about faith? Where are they going to go? Hebrews 11. Because Hebrews 11 is all about faith. Hebrews 11 is that, but it is actually a whole lot more. As we look at Hebrews chapter 11 today, I want us to see that it is not always the easy answer that we expect. Remember, the preacher's main concern in writing this book was to encourage the believer to stand firm in difficult times. Jesus act, um, I'm going to read Hebrews 11, 1 to 3 in the Amplified Bible. I'm reading the Amplified because it um, brings out a little bit more. Starting at verse 3, or verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance, the title deed, and confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed. And the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. For by this kind of faith, the men of old gained divine approval. By faith, that is, with an inherent trust and enduring confidence in the power, wisdom, and goodness of God, we understand that the worlds, the universe and ages, were framed and created, formed, put in order, and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Anybody here remember the show Quincy M.E., Medical Examiner? Yeah, there are some. Some of you are probably not so old as us that remember it. Uh, there are newer shows. We have three different CSI shows and three different NCIS shows. And there are shows after shows after shows about what is the main theme? Evidence. They're all about getting the evidence to figure out who done it. Hebrews 11 is also all about the evidence. It's not evidence to solve a crime, but to give us a sure foundation to stand on in difficult times. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, 24 through 25. Scrolls fast and then it's... Anyway. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who builds his house on the rock 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house. Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. That's why I titled this message, Faith is Our Foundation. It is a foundation that we can get a firm footing on. So that in our life, we know where we stand with God. What Jesus was getting at here was that hearing his words, accompanied by faith, will result in acting on his words. Before we start looking at the examples of faith in this chapter, I want to make it clear that the book of Hebrews is in no way to be looked at as a basis for this so-called prosperity doctrine. Faith, put a prayer in, get a blessing out. That's not what faith is about. Faith is a confidence that God is doing what is in our best interest. Faith is trusting in his judgment and that he will give us those things we need when we need them. As a matter of fact, when we get done with this chapter, we will discover that what Hebrews teaches is far from saying, if I only believe hard enough, I will become prosperous. The first examples of faith can be found in Hebrews 4, or Hebrews 11, verses 4 through 12. Starting in verse 4, we read, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, Though he is dead, he still speaks. Now think about what happened to Abel as a result of his faith. Abel performed the sacrifice as God told him. He trusted God, did what God said, obeyed. His brother did not. And Abel was murdered. How's that as a reward for faith? But here's the key. Even though he was dead, he still spoke. The first person and the first reference to resurrection, if you will. Abel, though dead, still spoke. He obtained a reward not in this earth, but in the one to come. We will see that there is a pattern used in this verse. It starts by faith, followed by a person is named, and then it continues with an act of faith, and it concludes with what he or she obtained. In this verse, the pattern occurs twice. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice and received God's testimony. He was righteous. 
By faith, Abel's sacrifice also resulted in the testimony that though he was dead, yet he speaks. I hate to be Captain Obvious here, but that means he received eternal life. This pattern is repeated over and over and over again throughout the chapter. And we're going to see that this is something that the author of Hebrews does here, is he's going to list a lot of things. He's going to start with individuals, and then he's going to, at the end of it, just jump into a big list and just zoom through history, if you will. But in this case, we're going to start looking at other verses here. Verse 5, we see Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. He was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. This, to me, seems like so much of what Enoch did by faith was pleasing to God that the testimony was Enoch's whole life was pleasing to God. What did he obtain? He went to be with God without seeing death. I'll tell you, that's pretty amazing. For our edification, the preacher includes this little nugget of gold in verse 6, tied directly to Enoch and pleasing God. And he says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. If we want to please God, First, we must believe he exists. I know that sounds a little obvious, but it's true. And second, we must trust that he will reward us for seeking him. That's what Hebrews 11.6 is saying. You want to be pleasing to God? Seek him. One of my favorite passages on faith is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Most people look at that as a salvation verse, but it also includes the idea of faith. And it's got, it says something very important about faith. So Ephesians 2, starting at verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of work, so, you may not, so no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Notice here it says that this faith is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. This is so important to understand. God gives us the faith. And then God rewards us for the faith he gives us. That just blows my mind. Faith is a gift. And the good works we do, those works were prepared by God beforehand. 
That is why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. God calls me to do a good work, and then he does it through me. And then he says, good job. Is it any wonder that God deserves all the glory? I mean, it just amazes me that he is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when he's the one that worked it out through me, or through you, or through any individual. I see Revelation where they talk about casting their crowns before him. Those crowns are the rewards. And why would we do that? Because he deserves the glory. He did the work. He's the one that provided us this ability to actually do that which is right. It is all him. And it is all his work in us. I'm not saying we just stand by and wait. No, that's not it. There is this cooperation. And I'm not sure how that works other than I trust and he does the work. It's one of those, if you will, mysteries about what God does. He says, trust in me, I will bless you, and I will reward you for trusting in me. If there's one thing we should learn from the Bible is that God deserves all the glory. In verse 7, we now see Noah. By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. The English Standard Version says, in reverent fear. The King James says, moved with fear. So Noah was moved by reverent fear to build an ark, and his family was saved while the rest of the world was condemned. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we see that faith produces, if you will, a reverent fear in us. And if we respond and turn and obey, God rewards us. We are not acting as a fool. In verse 8 through 10, we see Abraham's call. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. Oh, that word. That's a hard word in this day. Obey. It's a hard word for everybody, but it's especially hard now. But it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. By going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, 
not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as a foreign as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. We're going to see a lot about Abraham in this chapter, the first which is his calling. Here, Abraham's faith led to obedience. And even though he knew God promised the land to him, he still lived as a stranger in it. He even bought the burial cave for Sarah when she died. So here he is walking around his whole life after his call. He knows God's given me this land. But he doesn't live in it as if he owns it. He lives in it as if he's just passing through. You know, that's an example that we should follow. God has given us great blessings. But where we are living right now, this is not our home. We are strangers here. Our home is in the future. Our home is not where we live this fourscore and ten years or however many years God gives us. It's where we will live for eternity. And we need to understand this is not our home. We need to walk that way. And this is the example that Abraham gives to us, that even though he is living in this land he has been promised, that he is still looking for something in the future. In verses 11 and 12, we see Sarah also received a reward for her faith. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand is by the seashore. God promised Abraham that I would make your seed a great nation with many descendants. And what happens? This is, he, he goes on, he goes on, he goes on. Actually, Sarah got a little impatient. They tried having another a son their way. And we see the result of that in history right now. But with Isaac, it was past time for him and Sarah to have children. And yet, one child was born. That's sort of an auspicious start. One child. And then Isaac had Jacob. And then Jacob started having more children. And then it happened. But it took a long time for it to happen. 
See, God's promises aren't necessarily fulfilled when we want to see them fulfilled. In verses 13 to 16, we see that the faith they exercised was not rooted here and now, but they were looking to a far distant future to see their promises fulfilled. And in verse 13, we see this. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. Now that's an interesting thing. It's telling us to have faith. And what does it say here? They died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, they had been thinking of that country from which they went out. I'm sorry, and indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But, as it is, they desired a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. That is the whole aspect of this foundation of our faith. No matter what shifting grounds are going on in the world that we see right here and now, there's a city we're headed. And that's the city that we need to focus our eyes on. That's the place that we need to be looking. Always remembering that the firm foundation is rooted not here, but in eternity. They understood that this was not their home. The ultimate fulfilling of God's promise is in eternity. And after examining how the faith of these believers led them to understand they were strangers here, and this earth was not their home, the preacher returns to more examples of faith. In verses 17 to 19, we see that Abraham offered up Isaac. Everybody knows the story about Abraham offering up Isaac. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. I really love this passage because it teaches some very important truths. First, it teaches, yes, there really is a resurrection. 
Second, it teaches the truth that it has always been understood by believers that this was to be true. Third, it teaches that this example of faith was also a type of the resurrection which was fulfilled when Jesus rose from the dead. There's something else which is subtle but can be clearly understood by careful examination of these verses. Abraham understood that Isaac was the one God told him, and your descendants shall be called. So he's looking and saying, God wants me to sacrifice Isaac. But he's also saying, but God promised that Isaac would be the child that all of my descendants would come through. So if Isaac was to be this child, and God called Abraham to offer Isaac, then God intended to raise him from the dead. That is the only logical conclusion he could come to. After all, if Isaac had stayed dead, he couldn't fulfill the promise. But here's what we see. Abraham arrived at this conclusion through a rational thought process. He didn't check his brain at the door, mark faith. He didn't just believe for the sake of believing. See, true, honest faith does not go against rational thought. So many people today think in terms of if you believe in God, well, you're believing in a fable and a fairy tale. So you can't be thinking properly. But that's not what faith teaches us. Faith teaches us that there is a reality that is not physically discernible. And we can arrive at this through rational thought. Next we see three people continuing in the blessing first given to Abraham. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his sons, of the sons of Joseph and worship, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. See, Joseph knew they were leaving. Now this didn't happen until more than 400 years later. But he said, when you go, take my bones with you. Not if you go. When you go. These also did not see the blessing in their lifetime, but trusted God to fulfill his promise in the future. With Moses, we see the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. By faith, Moses 
when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Now whose faith was that? It wasn't Moses' faith, was it? It was his parents' faith. Because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. We all know what the followers, even though Israel saw miracle after miracle after miracle, they did not trust God. And they wandered in the desert. Their lack of faith meant they did not receive the promise. But here Moses endures the reproach. Moses comes back. And Moses then tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Over and over and over again. Until Pharaoh was finally forced to let Israel go. He didn't do it by choice. He did it because he understood if he didn't do it, his whole country would be destroyed. And even so, after letting them go, he chased after them to bring them back. And what happened? His army was destroyed. And the children, they saw all this. But they wandered in the desert for 40 years because they did not want to enter into that promised land. They did not exercise the faith. Only two, Caleb and Joshua, ended up in the promised land. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> Amen. With Rahab, we also see that God is willing to include those who believe, even though they did not descend from Abraham. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the harlot, did not perish along with those who were disobedient. After she had welcomed the spies in peace. So here Rahab, by faith, welcomes the spies, and her reward is she will become a part of Israel. She will be welcomed into God's family. And she obtained that how? By faith. Next, the preacher quickly goes through 
whole list of people who obtain God's approval by faith. And what more shall I, starting in verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promise, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. All these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not so that apart from us they would not be made perfect in this list we see those who literally walked through the fire and were delivered we also see those who chose to see his blessings in heaven when they walk through the fire. So there are times, and this is important, this is why no prosperity doctrine preacher will look at Hebrews 11 and tell you that God's reward, he'll give you what you ask for right here, right now, because it just is not found in Hebrews. Hebrews is, the answer is not here, not now. The answer is in the future. And this is the foundation that we can stand on. This is the foundation that can encourage us to trust in him, to walk in a way that is pleasing to him, to dare to reach out to others. Because we know that this life, which is so short, is not where it's at. That there is an eternity. And we know that in that eternity is where the real things are going to be happening for us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your promise of eternal life. We thank you that that is the foundation that our faith truly rests in. And we pray that you will help us to remember that we are looking to the future, the far distant future where we will be with you, where we will see your blessings for all eternity. And we pray that you'll help us to, in this confidence, reach out to those and 
draw them to you, that they may also respond by faith, seeing that future that we also see. In Jesus' name, amen.